Good to see all of you. Um, before we fully jump in, uh, I just want to say something real quick. Um, I made a joke last week during during Sunday school, and it was a joke at Elaine's expense, and it was not very honoring, and it was not very kind, um, and I've already said sorry to Elaine, but I wanted to say sorry to all of you, um, because it was in public, it was before all of you, it was not a good joke, and I'm sorry for it, so please forgive me, uh, and uh, sorry for making you all uncomfortable last week, and thank you for bearing with it. Um, but before we jump into the, the Sunday school itself, um, let's pray and ask God to bless it. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that we can come before you. Um, we pray that you would lead us today as we talk about uh, you and what you have done and how you have set us up as a church. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to understand uh, the church and what it is uh, better. But, Lord, help us to not leave it just in our minds. But may these truths flow out into our hearts, the things that we desire, the things that we love, the things we pursue, uh, and into our lives. Lord, please help us in these things, because we need your spirit. Thank you, Father, you're with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, last week, we talked about church. We talked about what a church is. uh, We're doing a series on community, um, but really, it's more broad than just the idea of community. We're talking about church as a whole, uh, what the covenant church, covenant community is. Um, The goal is that we want to learn more about what a community is, what we're what we are as a local church, what that means, um, and hopefully also start looking at Scripture to see what's the goal in the future. Right? We, we talk about where we are right now, and then we can see where we're supposed to go, uh, and hopefully we can start to see um, and understand better what are we supposed to be doing right, as a church. What does it look like to be a church? How can we do better at being a community? How can we love each other more? Um, so let's, let's review a little bit what we talked about last week. Um, so what is the church as a whole so broadly speaking what's the church what did we talk about last week i wasn't here last week (laughs) it's a gathering of god's children together to worship the lord okay gathering of god's children to worship the lord Charlie? I think you said it was uh, everyone that has been brought into God's kingdom in this house. Okay, everyone brought into God's kingdom. That's from um, Haggai. Not Haggai. It's from the, the Bible where God says, Haggai too. Okay, so where God says he'll, he'll shake the world and all the, the treasures of the nations shall flow out into his house. He's talking about uh, his people, the elect, uh, his, his treasured possession. Um, as a whole, though, the church, broadly speaking, is all the, all the elect from all ages, from all places. That's, as a whole, broadly, that's the church. It's all the, all the elect from all the ages, from all the places in the world. Um, that's the church. And local churches are visible expressions of that broader church. Um, so, Reformation is a visible expression of the church. So, the church is all the people of God, all the elect from all ages, from all places. Local churches here, today, 2023, in, Refer- in uh, Olympia, Washington, we are an expression of that body. We are a visible manifestation of it. We're an imperfect manifestation, right? We are not a perfect 
representation of the body because we're not perfect people and because there are not not everybody who is in the church is uh, is elect. Uh, Paul says in Romans, right, not all Israel was Israel. First um, John says that some of some go out from us because they are not of us. Um, there are people who will be in the church yet who are not elect. Some are here because they will initially respond to the gospel and then fall away. Some are wolves seeking to devour the sheep or to divide the church. Um, so we're an imperfect expression. And yet, the local church is a visible expression of the body of Christ, of, of the church as a whole, all the people of God. So we also talked about um, what it means to love. Well, let's before we go there, um, what is the church governed by? What's the constituting document of the church? New the New Covenant. So the New Covenant is the constituting document. It's the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights. Everything that we need to know about what the church is and what she's to do is the New Covenant. Um, so why is that important? Why, When I say that, why do I say New Covenant? Why don't I just say Scripture or the Bible? Charlie? Because in this new administration, the final covenant with Christ, our perfect mediator, it's not that it excludes the old covenant, it actually interprets it. So it is the, it's at the pinnacle, um, as you've described, governing even how we would um, see what is carried over or not from the previous covenants, administrations. Right. It's the lens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We when we look at the at the covenants that have come before, um, we look at them through the lens of the new covenant. So there are things that that the new the old covenant commanded that we don't do anymore. For instance, we don't offer sacrifices, right? We don't have uh, sacrificial feasts. Instead, we have other kinds of feasts. We have one feast in particular that we have every Lord's Day, um, and anytime we get together to to break bread together, that's in a sense a feast. We're celebrating what the Lord has done. Um, but everything we do as a church is governed by the new covenant. So everything in scripture is, is seen through the new covenant. And what that means is that we see it through Jesus. Um, so everything that we, that we read in scripture, we see through Jesus. Uh, because the cross and, and what Jesus did on the cross, is that's the defining moment of all of history and the defining moment of scripture. All of scripture either points forward to the cross or points back to the cross. And says, this is, the, this is the event. Everything revolves around this. So the church is created by, dis, uh, distinguished by, um, built up by the cross, defined by the cross. So the new covenant um, defines the church, which means, it means several things. Um, it first means that the church is created by God and not by man. It means we're not here because we are... Uh, we're, we're not all here because we are like-minded individuals, because we're here out of a, you know, well, you love Jesus and I love Jesus, let's have a church. We are together and brought together and brought into the body of Christ by God, created by God. Jesus says, you, Peter, I will build my church. Upon you, I'll build my church. Which means that God's doing it, God's building it, God's the one in charge, God creates it, God brings the people in. We are here because of God. We're not here out of our own volition. We're not here because we one day woke up and decided to pursue God. We woke up one day and God decided to pursue us. That's why we're here. Um, that also means that the church is permanent because the covenant that governs the church is permanent. 
Um, Jeremiah 31 says, I'm going to make a new covenant, and it shall not be broken, like the old covenant was broken. Which means that Israel, as a church, in the old covenant, stopped existing. The, the, the covenant people, that form of the church, through the old covenant, governed by the old covenant, stopped existing because that covenant was broken and lost. But the new covenant will not be broken, will not be lost, so the church will not stop existing. Charlie? Jeremiah 31. So the old covenant is broken. That, that administration ceased, but the new covenant will not stop. It will not be broken. The law will be written on our hearts, which means the church is permanent. Reformation is not permanent, unnecessarily. We don't know how long we're going to exist as, as a local church, but local churches will come and go. Denominations will come and go, but the body of Christ will not stop. Right? If, if Reformation closed their doors today, you wouldn't all go, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to church anymore. You would go to some other local church because you're Christians. You're people brought in by God in the body of Christ. You don't stop being in the body simply because one church, one local church, closes doors. Um, so local churches are, are transient. They come and go. But the body of Christ is permanent. And this also means that because the church is created by God, it's permanent, it also means that it's a reality and not an ideal we're chasing after. The church community, the covenant community, is a reality that exists whether or not we like it. Whether or not we do anything about it, it exists. And it's not an ideal, it's a reality. And it exists in reality for a purpose. God created the church for a purpose. Um, And the purpose is, there's multiple purposes, but when Jesus uh, uh, resurrected, he said to his disciples, All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. We talked about this last week, that a disciple, when it's fully trained, is like its master. And Paul says in Romans that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple, is to be made like Jesus. The church's goal is to make people, to shape people, to be more like Jesus, their Savior. That's what discipleship means. And the tools that the church has to do this, baptizing, teaching, In other words, word and sacrament. The primary tools of the church to fulfill the purpose of of conforming people to the image of Christ, of shaping disciples, is the word and sacrament. Those are the primary tools. And so we talked about also last week that there's three, three main images that describe the church in the scriptures. Uh, The Bible talks about how the church is a body, how the church is a building, and how the church is a bride. So body, building, and bride. So we're going we're gonna to spend a couple weeks talking about these three things. We're going to talk today about the church as a body, what it means that the church is a body. Um, but before we do that, are there any questions? Um, anything confusing? Anything you want to clarify? Anything you want to ask? Okay. Um, so the church is a body. So I'm going to read a couple passages that, that illustrate this. Um, Ephesians 4, 3-6 says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, 
just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And just as God is one, just as His Spirit is one, just as there is one faith, one one way, one path, um, one baptism, the the church is one body. So there's a body that it, that God has created that is. The, the essential characteristic of it is unity. I'd be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Paul says, for there is one body and one Spirit. So we are a made-up body, and so we'll talk about what that means. First uh, Corinthians 10.17 says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Again, the church is a body, and there's essential unity in the body, because there's one body. So... Let's talk about what that means. What does it mean that the church is a body? What's that mean? What are your thoughts? Okay, should function as a single unit. That's good. What else? Matthew? Okay, all the metal, all the members are critical to the function of the whole. Yeah, great. What else? What else does it mean that the church is a body? Think about the image of a body. If you don't know what bodies look like, just this. Yeah. Okay, it's a living organism. So, what is that? What's the significance of calling the church a living organism? Yeah. Yeah, it's got a head. Yeah. Yeah, it feels there's a head, we're connected. What can bodies do? Masha? They're mobile. Or maybe another way to put that is they can do stuff. Right, they have hands and feet and intentions and purposes and bodies can accomplish things. Right, there's there's an essential act of like doing stuff. If that makes sense, Charlie. Each part receives a different goal, but each part is also indispensable. Paul says that first Corinthians twelve, even the weaker parts are indispensable. Nothing can say to the other. I can't say to the hand I have a need of you. Each serves a specific function. Each function is crucial. The that the body was for. Yeah, yeah. All there are many different parts. They all have different functions, but they're all important, indispensable functions. You can't cut off one part uh, and just expect everything to keep going. Um, in other words, the church as a body is not an amoeba. It's not this amorphous blob of of ick that's kind of just like you know gradually exploding and I don't know what amoebas do but they're weird and gross and stuff the church as a body has has defined parts right it's not just one blob there's parts there's things there's hands and feet and eyes and legs and and different things that they do that different functions um, and they're distinct and yet they're united right my, my fingers are distinct from my toes and yet they're united in one body um 
so the, the church as a body means it's, uh, it's organic, it's living, it, has, it can do things, it's essentially united, it's one body. Um, you can't sever off an arm from the body, and it's not going to keep going, right? unless it's Pirates of the Caribbean that we're seeing. But you can't sever off the arm, and now it's, it's operating on its own. Right? If you're severed from the body, you can't keep going, you can't keep living, you're dead. Um, and this also means that, um, as, as Paul said, we're united by the Spirit. Right? In Ephesians, maintain the unity of the Spirit. There's one body and one Spirit. That comes up often when we talk about the body, Christ as the body, that we are united by the Spirit. Um, we're called the body of Christ. Elsewhere, Paul says that Christ is the head. And the Spirit of God is the, the animating force. He's the soul of the, of the body. Um, and this also means that when you become a Christian and come into the church, uh, you are now a part of something much larger than yourself. Something that is greater than the sum of its parts. So American Christianity tends to focus on an individualistic understanding of church and Christianity. Right? That this is about your relationship with Jesus. You go to church because it's nice because it's, it's, it's nice to be with other people. You don't go to church because, well, that's my body. I'm going to go to be with the body, right? And you don't see yourself as being an essential part of something larger, which means that when you receive gifts, they are for a purpose to bless the body, right? If you have gifts for something, you don't think, well, how can I use these to, to bless myself, Think, how does God want me to use these gifts that I have received to bless the body as a whole? So, in Colossians 1.18, Paul says that Christ is the head of the body, the church. So what does it mean that Christ is the head of the body? Let's talk about that. What does it mean that Christ is the head of the body? What do you think? What do heads do? Direct the parts. Direct the parts. Yep. Charlie? Without it, it'd be dead. It's very true. Charlie? Yeah. Governs, sets the direction. The head is the authority. Right? The head is the one that, that we're essentially connected to. Without the head, there is no, there is no life. Um, in other words, that Christ, when we say that Christ is the head of the body, we mean he's, he's the authority. Right? All authority comes from, from Jesus. All authority has been given to Jesus. This means that he's the one who sets the direction. He's the one who sets the agenda. He's the one who tells us what to do. And we either listen to the head or we do our own thing and it looks really weird. Right? If your arm is just going like this and your head is like... That's, that's weird. It's not doing anything. It's, it looks goofy. Um, everything that we think and believe comes from Jesus then. Everything flows down from Jesus. Um, conversely, that also means that an essential part of being in the body of Christ means we have to think rightly about who Jesus is. That if we have a, 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 mis, a twisted understanding of who Jesus is, that's going to twist how we act, how we live, how we think, um, because everything flows from Christ the head. So if you don't think that Jesus is, 
you know, fully God, fully man, if you remove some part of that, if you remove some part of his humanity or his divinity, that's going to drastically change everything else, more so than other doctrines. Right? We can... We can debate and we can disagree over things like eschatology, you know, whether you're all-mill or post-mill. We can disagree about a lot of a lot of ex- things out there. But once you start tinkering with the doctrine of Jesus, everything else will collapse because he's the head. Any other thoughts about what it means that the church is a body or that Christ is the head before I move on? Can I give you a slang book? A, a what? Slime. A slime, sure. He'd be the boss man. <laughs> he, he, yep, Jesus would be the boss man. Amen. Um, any other thoughts, comments, questions before we move on? Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a sec, too. We are we are united, though we may be from very different backgrounds, walks of life. We are brought together into unity. Any other thoughts, sir? Charlie? The scripture tends to show that whatever happens to the head happens to the body. So the, the head is nourished, the body is nourished. The head is crowned, the body receives glory. Where the head goes, that's where the body is. That's why we are right now present with him in heavenly places or in more than conquerors. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason why we say that Jesus is our federal head, right? That we mean he's our covenant head. He's our covenant mediator. Which, if you guys remember from our covenant theology class, a mediator isn't a go-between. A mediator is someone who who stands and acts on behalf of another, right? Whatever happens to the mediator happens to the people he's representing. So if Jesus obeys, we obey. If Jesus, if Jesus dies on the cross, we die on the cross. If Jesus is raised, we're raised. So he's our federal head. And that's so important about why God's word must be centered in the Christian's life. <clears throat> because although I said Christ is the boss man, he really is. He's the authority. And what he says in his word, regardless of what the community out there does, we are held to that standard of his word. So. Yeah. yeah, we are held to the word because Jesus is the word. Okay, any other thoughts, Matthew? Similar to what has already been said, but I would add that, that Jesus as head gives us our identity in the body. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. Our identity comes from being found in Christ, that Christ is our head. So um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is where Paul has a lengthy discussion on what it means that we are a body. So it's it's 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. I was going to read that to you. Thanks, Gary. So let's read through this a little bit, and we'll, we'll pause, and we'll just draw out some, some reflections on what it means that we are a body. So verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body 
uh, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the Spirit, for in one Spirit, right, there's a Spirit again, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all are made to drink of one Spirit. So the first thing that we notice, right, is that many distinct parts, lots of different bits, and yet one body. One body, different members, held together by the Spirit. Our unity is found in the Spirit. We have one baptism. We are, drink, we are made to drink of one Spirit. And what this means is that this is our defining feature now. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, whether you're a slave or free, regardless of your social class, of your economic background, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, regardless of anything else, the number one defining feature is now... You are part of the body of Christ. So my physical body does not define me. It's not my number one defining feature anymore. So, you know, I think of myself as Isaac, as a, as a guy. I have an identity. But Christ says your identity is to be found in the body of Christ, regardless of where you're from. And that means that even though we could be completely different kinds of people, right? We could not even speak the same language, But if we are both Christians and in Christ, we are united. That's that's pretty incredible. So when we think about our brothers and sisters around the globe, there's a reason why we pray for them. Because they are our brothers and our sisters. They're our body members. They are connected to us. We're connected to them. Even though they're on the other side of the globe, you've never met them. You don't know what they're like. You don't know how to talk to them because they speak a different language. They look completely different. And yet, you're the same. That's our defining characteristic and feature. Everything else is secondary now. So that's why Paul will say elsewhere, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, right? because we are connected and united in Christ. And then he goes on, verse 14, For the one body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the Bible or to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So, again, different parts, different bits, all united, and all have a purpose. So, uh, that was brought up a couple of times earlier when we were talking about what it means. All the parts of the body have a purpose. Um, just because you don't have the same purpose, you don't have the same gifts as someone else, it doesn't mean that you don't belong here. Right? We are, because we're humans, and because we're also sinful humans, we compare a lot. Right? You are constantly comparing yourself to other people. You're comparing how you look, how you act to someone else. You're comparing your family. You're comparing how your family works compared to somebody else's family. You're comparing uh, constantly. Like, how am I doing? Like, am I doing better than them? Or am I doing worse than them? They seem to have it all together. Um, they are really gifted in this. Man, I wish I was as gifted as, as this person is. And so that's what drives, well, I don't belong to the body because I'm not like them. And Paul says, you, you've missed the point. Right? The point is not to be like somebody else. The point is not that we're all going to be identical to each other. 
Because if we're all identical to each other, you lose essential functions. Right? If we're all eyes, um, there's no smell. The only one that we should be pattering after is Christ. Amen. Yeah, we should pattern ourselves after Christ compared to Christ. So the point is, um, we all have a different purpose. Right? We're all here because God has a purpose for us. Uh, God gifts us in different ways. And so there's three implications that we can draw from this. The first implication is that no part can say to another, I don't need you. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts of the body uh, that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. So God creates the body, brings us in, gifts us in different ways. We are different parts of the body. And not, none of us can say to anybody else, I don't need you. Right? You can't look to someone else in this room and say, I don't need you. You need them. Likewise, as a church, we cannot look at some other church and say, well, I don't need you. As a denomination, we can't look to another denomination and say, I don't need you. Right? Whether we are thinking of ourselves as individuals, or as a corporate church, a local church, or as a denomination, we cannot look to other parts of the body of Christ and say, I don't need you. Um, so when we look at how the church is, right, the, the, all the denominations, all the different churches, it's easy to think, wow, how fragmented we are. How, how shattered and fragmented we are. If, if the body is supposed to be one, why don't we all just get into one big church building all together? Right? Why don't all the denominations just, just play nice? And, and uh, why can't we all get along? While there is some truth that we need to have unity with other denominations, we need to do that better than we do, there's another truth. And the other truth is that God actually creates different denominations for different purposes. There are different parts of the body, and they have different functions, different gifts. Same as how everybody in this room, right? none of us is the same. We bring different things to the table. Different denominations bring different things to the table. Different churches bring different things to the table. So just because, um, you know, we, we call the OPC jokingly the only perfect church, we do not believe that. That's not true. We are a part of a body, a part of a whole. The OPC has strengths, and the OPC has weaknesses. And God has put lots of different denominations into play for His glory. They have different strengths. Now, obviously, we need to be unified. We can't look at other denominations to say, I don't need you, because you don't, you don't have the perfect theology, or you're not OPC, you don't do things like the OPC does, I don't need you. No. The head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. So that's the first implication. Second implication is that each part has a role to play, which we've already talked about uh, before. But every part of the church, broadly, denominations, local church, and us in this room, you have a part to play in God's body. And there are different roles, there are different gifts, there are different purposes for each different part. Right? Not everybody is to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon. But just because you're not a pastor, elder, or deacon doesn't mean that you don't do anything. You have a role to play. God has given you gifts, gifts to use for others, right? not for yourself. 
Um, I forget where I heard this. It was some some guy online, but he was he was talking about how if you have a gift for making money, that gift is not for you. Right? That gift is for others. If you have a gift for finances, that's for others. If you have a gift for administration, that's for others. If you have a gift for, for hospitality, that's for others. If you have a gift for um, for being extroverted and welcoming people in and, and greeting visitors, that's a gift. Use that for others. But if that's not your gift, that's okay. You have other gifts. You don't have to look. Not everybody has to do Charlie Monty's. Did I say that out loud? Um, you guys are great. We really th- are thankful for you. You guys are really gifted in a lot of ways. But just because your family doesn't look the same or do the same thing as any other family, that doesn't mean that you don't have gifts or a role to play in our church. God has brought you here for a reason. So the last implication we can draw, right? If we're one body, different parts, the last implication is that what happens to one part of the body happens to the whole. Verse 25, that there may be, uh, sorry, verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So what does that mean? What does it mean that if one part suffers, one member suffers, all suffer, or one member is honored, all rejoice? What's that mean? I'll give you a personal example. Okay. I lost my wife. So many of these wonderful people in this church were there and actually mourning with me. That's a great part of the body of Christ. Praise God. Yeah, when one of us suffers, we all suffer. Elsewhere, the scripture says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, bear one another's burdens. Let me give you another example. Okay. When you got ordained, this church was packed. When you rejoiced, we rejoiced. That's true. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah, we're all together, experiencing it together. I'll, I'll draw one out. I'll draw out one application, um, and and we'll talk about it at another time. But one application is the scriptures are packed with one another's. Right, there are commands to do this: one another, love one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, rebuke one another. Um, this is because, right, we are all one body. If one part, one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part is honored, we all rejoice. So frankly, if you don't know what's going on in someone else's life, how can you then suffer with them? If you don't know what's going on in someone's life, how can you rejoice with them? So essential application is get to know what's going on in each other's lives. Charlie. Charlie. 
send signals. When a part of the body stops sending signals, it's usually because it's dead. Right? You can't feel your foot anymore it's because it's dead. Um, so send the signals, reach out, <clears throat> ask for help, and like a body, the other parts rush to aid. You know. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's a good point. Charlie said the flip side of that is is if you are suffering or if you have something to rejoice in, don't keep it to yourself. Right? Don't be afraid of each other. You are a body. You're meant to do this. You're meant to share your sufferings. You're meant to be a part of each other's lives. You're meant to rejoice together. You're meant to weep together. So don't don't go at lone wolf. You know, don't be solo, find solo, doing it by yourself. Um, you're not supposed to. That we are one body. So this is also why we why we endeavor to pray um, during our prayer of church for each other, right? We pray for all the needs of those who are suffering uh, with physical things or, or every once in a while I'll, I'll throw in blanket statements, right? Those who are suffering with mental or spiritual issues. Um, but don't be afraid to share those right? with each other and with, with me and the elders um, so that we can be praying for you, so that we can share in those sufferings. Um, yeah, we're the more individualistic we get, the more disconnected we get, and and the less like a body we are. Um, there's a couple other things that we could that we could talk about, um, but I'm going to leave it there for today. Any any final thoughts or comments or questions? Okay, so next week we will, Lord willing, talk about uh, the church as a building. So we talked about church as a body today. Next week we'll talk about the church as a building. Um, so let us, let's pray uh, and get ready to worship God. God, we thank you that we can come before you as, as one people, as one body. We pray that your one spirit would work in us, that you would unify us, uh, that you would help us, Lord, to, to walk in accordance with this, that we would maintain this unity. Father, uh, we pray that you would help us to, to seek out each other, to love one another, to, to find out what's going on so that we can either rejoice together or we can weep together. And Lord, help us all to be open, too, to be open with our, our brokenness, our hurts, but also our joys that we might share together in these things. Father, please continue to knit us closer so that we might uh, be a closer body, be uh, sharing in the joys of Christ all the more richly and deeply. And Father, as we come before you to worship you, pray that you would lead us, that you would bring us into worship with with right hearts, with the right attitude, uh, that we might receive and that we might also uh, come to you and worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.